Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. On today's episode... The story of two journalists, two countries, and a decade-old murder. I'm Maeve McLennigan. This is The Tip-Off. My name is Hannah Al-Othman and I'm a news reporter at the Sunday Times. Hannah covers the north of the UK for the paper. I'm based in Manchester, so my beat is really anything connected, sometimes fairly tenuously, to the north of England. She often works closely with another of the paper's northern-based journalists, David Collins. And it was in a chat with him in the summer of 2020 that she first heard a name that would come to mean so much. Agnes Wanjiru. Agnes, who was from Kenya, had died years ago in tragic circumstances. The 21-year-old had been found dead in a septic tank outside a hotel. She had been working as a sex worker and had been seen in a bar at the Lion Court Hotel in a place called Nanyuki in Kenya, a place with a British Army training base nearby. On the last night Agnes was seen alive, the bar she was in was full of British soldiers from the Duke of Lancaster Regiment. It turned out she had been stabbed and then her body had been moved to a septic tank. It was found there two months later by a hotel worker. She left behind a child who was just a baby at the time. David, Hannah's colleague, had reported on the murder back in 2012 when it happened and it had stayed with him. And it was something that he'd always thought about going back to and re-examining. And we had, as is often the case in news cycles, we had over the summer a a bit of a quieter period where we had a bit more breathing space. And um, he suggested that maybe this was a project that we might want to get involved in together. You see, one of the reasons why this tragic death had stuck so firmly in David's mind was that it was a murder. And not only that, but a murder for which no one had been brought to justice. But the rumours were that British soldiers had somehow been involved. Immediately, Hannah was interested. I just thought it sounded fairly shocking and really interesting. Years earlier, while in Kenya on a reporting trip, David had been passed something fascinating. He managed to get hold of the inquest documents. And in them. As part of those leaked documents, we had a list of soldiers who were there on the night. Some of them were full names, some of them were just sort of 
partial names and initials. But the documents were confusing, and for one reason or another, the reporters put them aside for the time being. But now, years later, David and Hannah thought it was worth digging them out again and having a look. Once they found the names, they knew what they had to do next. They had to talk to the men listed in the inquest documents. So Hannah got to it, scouring the internet for any sign of the men on the list, trying her best to ascertain from the partial names and the initials who they might be. So we were really helped by social media in this case, and particularly Facebook. In this case, there were, you know, a lot of people on there who used their real names on Facebook, who were in groups linked to the regiment, who had open friends lists. And it was just a case of sort of reaching out, messaging them. You know, some of them just said no, that they didn't know anything. Some of them didn't engage at all and just sort of blocked me. But some of them were were happy to speak and happy to meet. And then it was a case of asking them, you know, who else might I speak to? Who else was there? And building that list of names up to, I think it was more like 60 or 70 potential witnesses and just making our way through through those names as well. Slowly, Hannah and David began to build up a better picture of just which soldiers might have been in the bar immediately before Agnes disappeared. They were the ones they really needed to talk to. Real eyewitnesses to cut through all the rumours swirling around. Hannah knew these conversations would be best done face to face. So she started to track down addresses and then jumped in her car. We did just do it the old fashioned way of of door knocking them. And yes, one of them knocked on his door. There was sort of no answer, uh, went back. There was still no answer. So I pushed a note through. And, you know, you do this quite a lot. And I'd say, you know, at least 50% of the time, it doesn't lead anywhere. And then one evening, Hannah was out at a work event a drinks reception in Manchester, when her phone started to buzz. And I got a phone call and it was the man whose door I'd pushed a note through earlier. Well, in fact, he didn't live there anymore, but was still in touch with the the person who did and they'd passed it on and he wanted to know what this was about. And he agreed to meet, I think, the next day or a couple of days later. And um, that was kind of our first breakthrough. He was surprisingly frank. The man, who they decided never to name, told Hannah how he had been at the Lion Court Hotel on the night of the murder, but he had no knowledge of anything to do with it. But he did open up about the culture amongst the soldiers, about how the men would have sex with sex workers, how much they paid them, just a couple of pounds, and the kind of trouble the soldiers would get into. But most strikingly of all, he said, he didn't know the name, but he said that the name was sort of an open secret within the regiment, that the, the guy who'd done it had gone around boasting about it, that people knew who that was. After I went and met this man and after what he said, we realised that we probably were onto something. And, you know, when we shared that with editors, they realised that we might be too. And that was when we were really sort of, you know, encouraged to pursue it properly. And after that, I continued to stay in the UK and tracking down these soldiers and David went off to to Kenya. It was October by now and Hannah had been continuing to message everyone and anyone she could who might have information on what happened at that Kenyan bar that night. She'd reached out to so many people it was hard to keep track. Much of the time there was no response or she was blocked. Meanwhile David had flown out to Kenya. 
He met the family. He met Stacy, Agnes's young daughter. They took him to see Agnes's unmarked grave. You know, they couldn't afford a headstone. So he did all of that. He went to the Lions Court Hotel, which is where Agnes was murdered, to see if he could speak to any of the staff there. It was all building a picture of what had happened that terrible night. And then, while out reporting at the Conservative Party conference, Hannah's phone rang again with a withheld number. She rushed outside and answered. On the line was one of the men she had contacted, someone she'd given up on after he'd blocked her. Many had obviously had some time to think about it and decided that he did want to help me after all. And he'd always ring off a withheld number, so he'd always have to pick up my phone. It could be any time of the day or night, sometimes early in the morning. And we spoke several times over many weeks. So we actually built up quite a good rapport and he sort of did some of his own digging and he'd ring me and he'd be like, speak to this person. And he'd go on Facebook and he'd say, this is their name and this is their profile picture so that I'd be able to find them. And and then he'd hang up again. So yeah, he proved to be, you know, a really key contact throughout this. So Hannah kept going, messaging all the people this guide suggested she reach out to. Over and over, message after message. And then, nothing to do but wait. And then... It was a Saturday night and I I thought I'd finish work for the week. So I was driving to my brother's house and I think he was having some friends round. And yeah, I got this call and it was like, I can't remember if it was a withheld number or just an unknown number to me. But yeah, my, my phone rang and he sort of told me who it was. Hannah scrambled to pull over off the motorway she was driving on. Dig out my dictaphone and he just said, do you want to know the name or have you got the name? And I said, no, I haven't got the name. He said, do you want to know it? And and I basically said, yes, please. And he told me the name. She connected her phone up to the Bluetooth in the car and they kept talking all the way as she drove to her brother's house, her dictaphone running beside her. So I was still driving along and then just being sat outside my brother's house in the car for about half an hour. And sort of other friends were pulling up and I was like, no, I can't. (laughs) I just need to take this call and sort of gesture into them through the window and trying to write it down. When the call ended, Hannah sat there in shock. She had the name. The name of the man everyone thought had murdered Agnes. She ran into her brother's house and up the stairs, barely stopping to say hello, trying to find a quiet place to call David. And so David was in Kenya at that time. And I rang him. I said, I think I think I know he might have done this. And I don't know. We didn't really believe it. I didn't really believe it because it had been 10 years and, and you know, no one else had, well, you know, everyone in the army knew, but no one outside that had identified this person. So, yeah, we couldn't quite believe it at first. And I, sort of, I think initially it was a bit of disbelief. He wasn't so sure. I think, you know, just it had only been... A matter of weeks and you know we've got to this name quite quickly and th- there's a lot flying about all the time and you're never sure what's true and what isn't you know there's lots of rumors lots of exaggeration I think this is you know on army bases from what I can gather there seems to be a lot of gossip a lot of rumors always flying around so we weren't sure we didn't believe at that point that we'd sort of crack the case but you know we were were pleased to have a, a strong lead shall we say. She doesn't know it then but all was not as it seemed. More after this.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So Hannah has been given a name, someone they'd call Soldier Y, who is suspected of being actively involved in the murder of Agnes Wanjiru. It's July 2021 by now, and Hannah decides to set off to try and track this Soldier Y down. But after waiting outside for hours, the first address that she has turns out to be wrong. A man came down with his dressing gown on and said that he knew Soldier Y, but he said he didn't live there anymore. And I asked where he'd moved to and he told me sort of the general area. Another possible address she had turned out to be wrong too. We got there. It was a good 45 minutes driveway and it was all boarded up. So that was, uh, you know, sort of a dead end. But Hannah did have the address of someone she thought was a relative of this man. So drove back there and knocked that. No one answered. So I thought I'd sit outside for a couple of hours, see if anyone came home. There's a lot of waiting around involved in uh, journalism. You've always got to have a book in your bag or some emails to catch up on. Anyway, um, I sat outside the house just a little bit further up the road in my car. And then I saw... Soldier Y, um, just walking across the road towards the relative's house and realised that was him. So I rang David and I said, I think he's just gone into the house. And he said, well, you'd better go and knock it then. And, and so that was that. Taking a deep breath, she walked up to the door and knocked. And then basically, you know, he came down, he answered the door and he confirmed who he was. He confirmed he'd been in Kenya and he said, you know, he wasn't going to talk about any of that. Hannah told him that the rumour was going around that he was involved with the death, possibly as an accomplice. 
Soldier Y was shocked. He had no idea that that's what people were saying about him. He started talking, telling Hannah that he hadn't been involved in how Agnes had died, but that he had been taken to see her body in the septic tank. He was really cut up about the whole thing. He said it had ruined his life. He'd left the army soon afterwards. It had sort of destroyed his mental health. And he tried to raise the alarm at the time. He tried to tell people that what had happened, no one had believed him. No one had taken him seriously. And it had really destroyed him. And one thing that just, you know, he his account was just so credible. There was so much emotion behind it. And while I was there, a relative came home and he said, oh, it's just a reporter about, you know, what happened in Kenya. So it was obviously, I think that just, you know, added such weight to to what he was saying because it was clearly something that he'd talked about with family. And they gave this very detailed, very credible account. And he named the, the same man who had been named before several times and that was it really that was our sort of really key piece of of evidence in this. Soldier Y gave a name that many other people had whispered to Hannah before but more than a rumour this time he was saying that this guy Soldier X had actually taken him to see the body. I realised pretty quickly that this was quite big and so I got straight back in the car and I rang David and David said something like, I oh, don't tell me he's confessed to it. He's confessed to everything, sort of joking and laughing. And I just said, like, kind of, yeah. And uh, I told him what I'd said and David was like, just get home and send that recording, send it to the editors. So I did and I drove home as I was sort of on the phone to David and I had tickets to uh, football I said, do you think I'm still going to be able to go to uh, see United tonight? And he said, I don't think so. So we sent this recording over and our sort of deputy editor listened to it, listened through a couple of times. And and he said, basically, be outside Soldier X's house for 6am tomorrow. Hannah and David drove through the night in the pitch black with the rain lashing down. They each found their way to the hotel on like um, one of those industrial estates by the motorway and then a sort of retail park type thing with a McDonald's and what have you. They got a few hours sleep and then were out again in the dark. They made their way to the house of Soldier X with a photographer in tow. We wanted to get a photograph of this guy, so that was the sort of logic behind waiting. So uh, we wanted the photographer to be able to get a picture of him first and then for us to approach him. So they found a spot not far from the house and waited. And waited. And we just sat there and um, sort of waited for him to come out and he didn't. I think we'd been there for about 12 hours and it was six o'clock in the evening and we decided, you know, we're just going to have to knock it. That's when we decided to, to just do that. So it was quite difficult. So when we did come to knock, his child answered the door and I knew he would know who I was and that he maybe expected me because I knew that he was friends on Facebook with some of the soldiers that I'd been approaching over weeks and months. And I know that some of them had been, for example, screenshotting my messages and sharing them on Facebook. And, you know, we'd done the previous stories. So... I don't think my call would have been 
unexpected to put it that way and so I said you know it's it's about what happened in Kenya and can we go to my private to talk and he just said no he didn't want to. The door closed in their faces but they still needed to put the allegations to him to give him a chance to respond. And so basically what we had to do was we had to then, you know, type all the allegations into a letter and we sort of wrote all of those down and it spanned several pages what we're intending to publish, some of what Wyatt said, some of what others have said, and and we, we typed this letter sort of put it in an envelope you know found print put it in an envelope waited a few hours because you know sort of past the time the children might have gone to bed and then we just sort of knocked again and said look we, we do really need to speak to you about this these are the allegations these are what we're planning to publish and we want to give you the opportunity to respond so we said we're going to wait outside if you want to come out and talk to us that's fine if you don't that's okay too but you know just have a read and let us know and it it was actually his his partner who came out and and took the letter and she said we'll read it together and, and and we'll let you know and then he he did he came out and he spoke to us for about 40 minutes stood in the street in the dark, Soldier X spoke to David and Hannah. He denied pretty much everything. He denied that, you know, he was the one responsible. He said that he was a victim of bullying and, you know, everyone was sort of making this up because they didn't like him. The conversation ended and Hannah and David got back into their cars. That was it. They had it. Soldier X had been identified by several people as the perpetrator of the terrible murder. They had now his flat denial. David drove home through the night and Hannah checked back into her hotel. We sent that recording through to our editors and to our lawyers and I I basically had to transcribe the whole thing. So I was, you know, did that through the night until about one, half one and then got a little bit of sleep and then we were up again at sort of working on it at seven. This was a Friday and I think we published at 6pm the following day. So it all had to be edited, all had to be legal. As part of their reporting process, they sent the allegations to the Ministry of Defence. They pushed back quite heavily. They really tried to discourage us from running the story, saying things like, you know, it could lead to justice not being done if we name this guy and and in the end you know we we agreed not to name him but we said we we're still going to run the story and it, it but it did involve sort of a lot of back and forth with the MOD a lot of back and forth with our lawyers but finally the piece was written the legal checks done they were ready to publish the whole thing telling the story of how this unnamed soldier soldier x had murdered a woman in Kenya gotten away with it and how the killing had been an open secret in the army ever since. How nothing had been done by army officials to investigate. The story went out in the Sunday Times. It was the whole of the front page and a spread and an additional page inside. So it was sort of four pages of the paper. And when you only have, I mean, it depends on the week, but often less than 20 news pages, it, it ran very big. Yeah, so, you know, it went everywhere. You know, we had the sort of usual 
TV, radio requests. We did, you know, we did some of that. And then I went off to stay with a school friend who lives in the middle of the countryside in a hamlet with no signal, which is lovely. Before I sort of drove off down there, I got a message from one of my soldiers who just said, you might like to see these. And it was screenshots of Soldier X laughing and joking with other soldiers about the murder. So it kind of really, really went against his account that he'd been bullied and that, you know, he wasn't in on this. And so I sent those to my editor and that was sort of our our week two. And so it involved another drive all the way back down on my own this time to sort of confronted with those allegations and and in the end he you know I had the letter pre-prepared and he was expecting that I don't think he's expecting a second visit but when he saw me he said have you got a letter so I handed that over and he didn't talk to me this time I said should I wait and he said no and that was that that was sort of our next our next piece. The story built and built and drew a lot of attention offer and you can publish something that you've spent a lot of time on and you really believe in and it it doesn't land in the way that you want it to and it doesn't get the pick up that you feel it maybe should have done but this you know it was soon as we published on social media on twitter on you know getting messages from people who'd read the story getting emails got a lot of contact from soldiers who would said you know actually I went to that base in Kenya and it was awful and this happened and so you know we realized it, it was potentially quite a big thing and then you know it was mentioned in parliament and he's sort of were pushing for resolutions it was picked up in the Kenyan parliament so it all sort of snowballed pretty quickly after we published that that first big piece. Here's BBC Africa reporting on their social media channels. For decades, people living in Nanyuki have claimed that crimes committed by British soldiers often go unpunished. The British High Commissioner has expressed a shared concern over Wanjiru's death and promised her government support of a Kenyan investigation into her murder. But the wait for justice continues. Britain's Minister for the Armed Forces, James Heapy, held a press conference saying he had met with members of the community in Kenya who had been protesting Agnes's murder. If there are further allegations that come to light, absolutely no stone will be left unturned in making sure that we provide all of the information necessary for the Kenyan authorities to investigate those claims. The UK has nothing to hide here. We want these investigations to be dealt with as quickly as possible. We want those responsible to be brought to justice because Agnes and her family have already had to wait too long for these cases to be resolved. We need that now to be investigated and brought to the courts here in Kenya as quickly as possible. Despite all the detective work Hannah and David had done to lay out exactly what had happened and how, there still wasn't any justice for Agnes. And I think it's now just, it's sort of diplomatic hold-ups whereby, you know, the investigation rests with the Kenyan police, but actually the, the key evidence and the key witnesses The MOD have all that information, but the sort of correct paperwork that enables them to share that isn't in place yet. And so it's all a bit, it's all moving very slowly. Here's NTV Kenya reporting on the story. The death of a 21-year-old Agnes Wanjiru stunned the country when details emerged that a British troop allegedly stabbed her to death and dumped her in a septic tank in Nanyuki. However, more than a year since the revelation, 
Investigations have yet to commence into her death. This was revealed in an exclusive interview with the UK Minister for the Armed Forces, who says a difference between the two legal systems is the reason behind the long delay. There were questions raised about why the Sunday Times didn't end up publishing the name of Soldier X. If they knew it, and they knew it was him, why not publish it? Basically, we want justice process. We hope it will get to the point where it does, obviously, you know, the, the only person or people who can basically make that decision on whether or not he is guilty is uh, the criminal justice system. That's not for us to, to be judge, jury and executioner. But we don't want to do anything that will interfere with that or that will allow him to say, well, I haven't had a fair trial and, you know, I've already been tried in the media. And, you know, that that's something that we have to balance. So while we think that there is a realistic prospect of, of criminal proceedings being brought, we sort of have to protect those proceedings and the right to him having a fair trial. In the wake of the stories, a fundraising page was set up and money was raised to pay for a proper headstone for Agnes and money for her young daughter. And David and Hannah stayed in touch with Agnes's family throughout the process. They're really grateful. They're pleased with how the story was reported. They still want justice. We, you know, we're still in touch with them that, we're, you know, we're still trying to help them achieve that. But I think it was really important to us that we worked with them throughout because it's not just a story, it's a person and it's their loved one. So we did keep them abreast of everything that we were doing on this. It was an incredible investigation and one that went where the official authorities had refused to go. It went on to win the Paul Foot Award and a special award at the Orwell Prize. That's all for this episode of The Tip-Off. I put links to Hannah and David's amazing articles in the show notes. This episode was presented and produced by me, Maeve McLennigan, with editing from Chloe Behrens, original music by Claudia Meza, our theme tune by Dice Muse, sound design by Alec Cowan, and additional support from Joaquim Alvarado. Stay tuned for more stories behind the headlines. <laughs>